Hello, Annie Trenders. Welcome to the Girl Taku, hosted by the ladies of anime trending. If you're looking for a nice tea and deep dive analysis about otaku things, you've come to the right place. We love our conversation and discussion, and we're back with another fun topic on the table. My name is Gracie, and I'm joined by. Hello, I am Isabel, and this is Agnes. So without further ado, the Girl Taku today will be about unreliable narrators. So for anyone who doesn't know what that means, unreliable narrator is a storytelling method where essentially the main character or sort of the narration that you're following is not telling the full truth or is not telling the truth at all. It is extremely effective in, you know, novel reading, especially, especially if we're going with the first person. But we can do the same sort of unreliable narrator in any sort of media, whether it's in movies, whether it's in, you know, manga or light novels or anime for that matter. And so today we are going to talk about unreliable narrators. Admittedly, I do think they're rarer than what we usually see in regards to other storytelling methods. And also from my experience of just consuming so many novels and like movies and shows, it can be very hard to pull off in a correct way. And so you really have to sort of like set the stage and drop hints of the unreliable narrator before you can fully like pull it out and do the big reveal. But with that being said, because we are talking about unreliable narrators that, uh, this episode, this is full of plot twists because the unreliable narrator is the plot twist. It's when it's revealed that the perspective that you've been seeing, hearing, or reading for that matter isn't actually the truth. So need to put that out there right now. I We usually talk about spoilers in our other episodes, but this one is probably one of the most spoiler heavies because of the fact that, because of the actual topic at hand. So with that being said, I'm going to let Isabel start off. And the reason why is I actually have quite a nice healthy list of unreliable narrators that I can pick from. So I'm not really scared of any of the other two poaching any of mine because I can always draw some out. So I'm going to let the other two girls go first this time, and I can go last, which leaves me plenty in my arsenal to continue. So, uh, Isabel, you know, uh, unreliable narrators, uh, you know, what are some examples of unreliable narrators you've seen and want to talk about? Yes. Um, and in general, for unreliable narrators, for me, I kind of have like a love-hate relationship with that. Uh, I especially hate it when I'm reading it in novels. Really? <laughs> Especially if it's in first person too, because I'm like, I can't trust this person, but they're the, the ones talking in my head the whole time. And so I really hate that. But I think it's different in anime just because you do get the perspective of the other characters and I can visually see them. Whereas it's not as visually like there for me when I'm reading a novel. So it's like a different experience for me. So yes, I do sometimes don't like it in the anime as well, uh, especially when I realize later like, oh, our main character was not telling me the truth i don't like this <laughs> yeah, <it's laughs> wait do you moments. so okay now i have to ask do you if there if any novel is first person do you just start off suspicious in that case <laughs> i do actually now that you talk about that yes i am suspicious of whatever they're saying <laughs> especially if it's the first person isabel's been backstabbed agnes <laughs> that's what i've yeah, learned who hurt you which novel hurt you girl yeah, which I've novel hurt you it's it's the sound and the fury the sound. Oh. Oh. <laughs> okay i see i can never forget that novel it was it was hard <laughs> <laughs> you felt betrayed i'm sorry this is so funny but it is <laughs> that's okay, okay. Well, uh, what do you have for us uh, from the anime side of things of your love-hate relationship with the storytelling method? Yes, so the first uh, the first one is um, The Melancholy of Haruhi Suzumiya. Perfect. Oh, That's one of the ones yeah. on my list. Perfect. Okay, great. <laughs> I mean, you can't deny that Kion is the unreliable narrator, even though and. Not only that, he's the only kind of character we can trust, uh, even though we don't... I, yeah, we basically have no option but to trust him um, because, you know, in the series, he's kind of like the normal high school kid, whereas everyone else is kind of 
an alien and Esper. Haruhi is basically creating the space for them and her whatever she wishes comes into fruition. And we're kept in the dark about that. Kion is in the dark about that. Kion is actually kind of the person realizing that these people, these classmates of his are not actually normal. Um, and so it's kind of funny to see that him and not only that, right as the series starts off and throughout the series as well, him narrating the whole sequence of things happening in the SOS Brigade or their club is just so funny to me uh, because one, he just makes comments that he he says that he believes in and then he kind of does the exact opposite. Um, one of the examples is I think you realize later in the series that he actually likes uh, Haruhi or is at least interested in her, but he like multiple times he just says, yeah, I'm not really interested in her she's not that cool or something like that but you know he's he's obviously drawn to her and notices little things about her um like you know changing her hair every day or something like that and things little things like that that he notices it points out he doesn't realize that he's kind of contradicting what he's telling us the viewer but then he's also kind of doing different things on his own and yeah that really goes throughout the series um and and I, so you've also seen it, Gracie. Like, did you have like one instance of where uh, he, you know, Kion was, I guess, showing the signs of being an unreliable narrator, or did you like him at, at all in the series? So funnily enough, he's actually the reason why I was never too big on the series, despite it being mm. so big, because mm-hmm. when I realized that he tends to leave out details or is vague or like leaves out or tells half truths in his narration of the story, I kind of got fed up with him. <laughs> I was just like, dude, like these these are happening. Just just tell us everything and then things will get resolved quicker. Why are you doing this? You're making the conflict stretch out longer. And so that actually, so, uh, so uh, please keep in mind, I was watching this when I was a teenager, so definitely not as an adult. So I, I think now as an adult, I definitely appreciate how it's utilized because it is definitely one of the most classic and well done examples of unreliable narrator in anime but as a teenager especially because I tend to get stuck in a lot of dramas where I'm like trying to figure out and fix other people's relationships when he's like throwing it into the mix as well and being like unreliable and talking the way that actual high school kids with drama would talk about I was just getting fed up with him and I was just like stop lying or stop concealing information this information is important to figuring out how to get out of the situation and stuff and so uh so yeah I so funnily enough he's the reason why as a teenager I wasn't big on the melancholy of Haruhi Suzumiya <laughs> oh no wonder okay what about you um Agnes I don't know if you've ever seen the series I only saw two episodes and then I got bored of it. Oh. <laughs> it, I, like I said, high school anime is not my thing. It takes a lot of energy for me to finish it. So I don't think I ever re-picked up uh, Haruhi Suzumiya again after that. I yeah, bet totally. I bet deep down teenager Agnes was all was also like, what is with this guy and his BS? <laughs> yeah, he was kind of droning a little bit too much. I'm just like, get to the point, man. <laughs> He was like, why does this girl keep changing her hair? And I'm just like, cause she can. Like, what's the- <laughs> just imagine, like, Kion being the unreliable narrator, and then Agnes pops herself in there, who's like the one sane character, where it's like she responds very, like, very black and white to all of Kyo's hypothetical question. Why does she keep changing her hair? Because she can. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, I, but it is a really good example of, um, it is a really good example of unreliable narrator. Did you realize that, like, this was an example of that story methodology? Because I actually didn't learn the term until later, to be honest with you. Uh, or did you already kind of have a concept of uh, unreliable narrator by that point? Yeah, I think I didn't know until later on, until I, you know, um, because I watched it as a teenager as well. So, mm-hmm. I didn't realize it until later when we discussed unreliable narrators and things like that, but I I hadn't gone back to the show at that point. Um, But when you put that together with the series itself, you realize that, yes, Kion is a great example of it, Mm -hmm. just because of the way he narrates things and uh, leaves out things. And uh, so, you know, you don't really see that too often in other shows. And other shows is kind of more maybe 
if there's a male protagonist, I feel like he's a little bit more telling of the thing, uh, telling of what's happening, but also kind of having this inner dialogue that's a little different from what Kion has. I think Kion definitely has that. I guess he, what, how do you describe it? Kind of, <laughs> I think what Agnes is saying, like, exaggerates things and puts in extra things that you don't need to, you don't really think about in general. So, yeah. Got it. Well, if that is your first pick for an unreliable narrator, who do you have for your second pick then? Yeah, my second pick um, is also kind of obvious. Uh, I've also talked about this show before, which is School Live or Gakko Kurashi. Ah, yes. The classic first episode twist. Yeah, so, you know, there's a first episode twist and it's kind of like you realize that the character is an unreliable narrator almost at like right at the beginning of the or of the series obviously with the first episode which was nice because honestly I don't know what I would have done if I had realized that our protagonist Yuki was an unreliable narrator like five episodes in because the show is about a zombie apocalypse happening at the school and if the first episode didn't end the way that it did when it revealed that actually um because when because at the start of the show, you just think Yuki's living a normal school life. She's just going through a club um, and she's, you know, having class with her um, with her other classmates and having fun and just having a regular high school life. Um, and then you realize at the end that everything that looks normal is not normal at all. There's zombies all over the school. So that was kind of shocking for everyone. Then that's kind of like the twist that happens that you'll see when you watch the show and then after that, you kind of get half and half. Um, you get half of what Yuki's seeing, kind of, or if in some of the episodes, we'll, st- we'll start off with her um, doing normal school things or like, you know, talking to a classmate who's not actually there. Um, and it's not that Yuki doesn't realize that there's a zombie apocalypse happening. It's just that when we meet her in the series, it's kind of a point where the zombie apocalypse is happening, but she has kind of shut it off from her mind at that point, And she's... Um, just trying to make everything go back to normal in her head. And so she's telling the other girls that she's, you know, in the club with trying to survive, basically. And the girls are very sweet because they they kind of keep up with her delusions or like are saying like, oh, yeah, she's still here. Or, you know, the next class, we're going to do this. Or they lie to her, basically, telling her that, oh, yeah, we're going to go this do this as a club now. But in reality, they're going to go out and fight the zombies and try to get to their next survival mission or something like that. Um yeah, and then as the series progresses, we kind of see the backstories of the girls and what happens to like their friends as well, because obviously they had friends that turned into zombies. And and these zombies are interesting because they go to the places where they're supposed to be in the school kind of thing. And so when the girls visit that, it's kind of, I guess, reliving their memories and things like that. But yes, overall, I think it's nice that one, Yuki is the unreliable narrator, but we also get that other half of the other girls telling it kind of how it is and like actually dealing with the zombies themselves. Um, But yeah, that's all I had to say about that one. I I don't know if either of you have seen that or what comments you had on the show itself. I remember you saying that, you know, this was one of your favorite plot twists that you've seen in an anime when we had our plot twist episode. And, um, and but now I've also learned that you have a love-hate relationship with the unreliable narrator yes. sort of storytelling <laughs> method. So I'm kind of curious, you know, what made this unreliable narrator, even just from the very first episode, like what made it work so well for you where you didn't feel betrayed <laughs> about it? <laughs> yeah, I think it's definitely that that first episode uh, the fact that the twist happens in the end. So that's kind of like, like you said, part of the story and part of the reason why people might like having the unreliable narrator um, in a series. Uh, and then the other thing is that there is there are people that I can trust in the series, which are the other girls who are keeping, uh, keeping uh, it. Uh, I see. Okay. <laughs> you need the straight men of the con somewhere yes. in the mix. Okay. Yes. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. I, I, you know, the more you describe this, the more I'm like sad I missed out on it when it was airing because this definitely sounds like my type of show <laughs> that I really like to watch. Um, but the other thing is, you know, the way you described it this time with the full picture, 
uh, something about it is just kind of like sad, you know, and melancholy. And uh, and it's just I, I guess like, you know, you talked about before how you don't really like a heavy anime or you do watch heavy anime, but there has to be sort of a limit in regards to that. Did you not feel the heaviness of this series? I mean, just the way you're describing it to me, it just sounds very sad, you know, that these girls are these other girls are keeping up with the delusions of the main character because they know that that's how her brain is coping to survive the situation that they've lost their friends already and yeah yeah i don't know why i think i was okay with it but maybe because there's like hope for them there's like um they're very like optimistic in general like even though they've you know lost some of their friends or things like that in general some some of the other girls will like comfort them and then you know move on to the next thing so kind of like going over like I guess they were kind of bonding as well as friends. So I thought that was a nice touch to it as well um, throughout the series. So I think that's what kept me going, even though it, it might have been sad or there were sad moments and things like that. Got it. Okay. Uh, and Agnes, I don't know if you watched it in between the time we had we had spoken about this anime and the plot twist episode or not. I'm going to guess no. <laughs> Very good guess. That is correct. Okay. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. <laughs> But yeah, I haven't had a chance to watch it, so I don't have much commentary for it as an unreliable narrator. Yeah, no worries. It actually, the fact that I've watched School Live, it actually affects how I kind of watch Psalm 100 right now. Um, oh, because I you feel tell, like, you tell. Because I just think that the way that our main character is kind of, in a way, he kind of re- reminds me of Yuki a little bit just because mm. he's thinking like, like if you think about the zombies are like colorful and things like that or it's not bloody or anything like that and so i'm like oh maybe he's making these things up or like he's you know he's obviously like totally fine with the zombie apocalypse and you don't see it affecting him at all which i find interesting um whereas his you know the people that he meets are like yo this is this is like a live or die situation but you're like too happy about it so I feel like that could have, like, he could have obviously been an unreliable narrator, but he isn't. But um, I just thought that that was interesting, seeing School Live and then seeing Psalm 100 as a different type of series. I think uh, I think a key difference between the two, because I'm also watching Psalm 100, is that, I mean, we saw in the first episode that at one point he was genuinely considering suicide, just very, mm-hmm. like, it, like, it passed his mind. And there was even in his monologue where he was like, oh, if this barrier didn't exist, I, I could just like walk right off and it would be over, you know, sort of thing. And it's not uncommon. Like, it's, it's weird to say this in this in, like realism in the sense of a zombie apocalypse for that matter. But it's not uncommon for if someone's gone through sort of a life endangering moment to suddenly realize that life is worth living after all and make them appreciate it more. The easiest example I have, honestly, is of my own family. They went through the Cultural Revolution. They literally were tortured during the Cultural Revolution. And a lot of my family members actually had a very hard childhoods that you know, I'll spare you guys the details. Agnes knows it slightly, but it's an actual soap opera. Like, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> um, and essentially, the um, you know, I've had family members who've generally, generally like, reached that brink, uh, emotional brink, where they literally just stood in front of a river and was like, I could just jump and end it all right now because they're just so tired and exhausted. But after they've went through the Cultural Revolution and survived that, nothing could ever ever push them to that brink again ever because they were like if i went through that and i wanted to live then nothing in life is going to keep me from not wanting to live and i feel like the zombie Mm. apocalypse kind of is that trigger point for our main character because he had reached that brink but now it's like the world is actually ending and it's suddenly like it changes your perspective on life is what i feel like is happening so that's that's just my take and interpretation of zom 100 in this case Oh, yeah, absolutely. That makes sense. Okay, so uh, Agnes, you are next for Unreliable Narrator. I know you had a bit of trouble finding your Unreliable Narrator pieces. So, uh, so you know, uh, share with us and the listeners your sort of process as to finding the Unreliable Narrators. And who did you pick? I basically had to ask Girl Taku uh, my picks or like possible, uh, how would you say it? my basically i had to ask them like would this show do you think this show had an unreliable narrator in there and get a 
a very black and white yes or no, because the genre for me is something that I don't naturally click with because at one point during the show, I already start straying away from the quote unquote unreliable narrator and look for clues myself. I'm the type of person who likes to solve my own mysteries and puzzles by myself instead of have somebody else explain it to me. So this is why I have a very weird love-hate relationship with mystery in general, because I don't like it when people try to lead you astray with like red herrings and be the unreliable narrator. Oh, that's I interesting. to solve it myself. Yeah, that's why I have a hard time picking up, like there are good, very good mystery animes out there that I did like, like ID Invaded was really good. But I like forming my own conjectures and theories myself without relying on the unreliable narrator. That is so interesting. I never would have guessed that mysteries are kind of like a hate love-hate relationship for you i totally thought you'd be into mysteries but um but now that you've pointed out like you don't like it when the story purposefully tries to lead you astray that's interesting (laughs) because like sometimes i think it depends for some people because the unreliable narrator can take people off like really off guard but if you're somebody who like consciously looks out for your own clues in a mystery instead of following their lead you can like very easily diverge from that path and be like oh yeah it was so simple you could have seen it like straight away so there's there's some unreliable narrators that do a really good job at leading you astray and also kind of convincing you that maybe your own conjectures are wrong that theirs are right versus there are worse unreliable narrators that you can see clear as day you're just like yeah that was that was not a surprise at all (laughs) so got it okay so with that being said you know what were the two that you got the yeses for (laughs) so the two that i got the yeses for would be uh let's start with the most obvious one because i think that's the one that i have the most recent memory of is bungo stray dogs and i think with my earlier mention of why I don't like mysteries as much as a genre, also it ties in relation to Bungo Stray Dogs is because the majority of most of the season ha- of the seasons have an unreliable narrator, but it's kind of done in such a weird way that it's very predictable up until around season four or season five. And at that point, I was kind of just kind of getting kind of tired because it seems like something bad is coming up for the characters that is done through the unreliable narrator but they always win at the end so you get kind of bored of it Uh, but season four and season five actually does a complete twist where now the unreliable narration is not on Atsushi but it's actually on Rampo and Rampo himself as a character is full of extreme confidence he is the man with the quote-unquote unique ability to basically suss out everybody right he has a he thinks that it's a unique ability of his to be able to solve mysteries within a certain within a certain amount of time and deduce everything but the reality is that he just has very good deduction skills as a result he is the series Sherlock Holmes right and so for the majority of season four and season five, you are actually very much led by Rampo because he's a brand new perspective and a very different character from what Asushi was in the first three seasons. And you actually get kind of led by his whole bravado and all of his like, everything's going to be fine because I'm here. I have full confidence that I can solve every mystery. But as it turns out, every single thing that he tries to solve, he either almost hits the mark but something goes awry because of the enemies that they're facing up against and the fact that um he almost gets himself and a lot of the members killed because that organization has a different plan that basically thwarts everybody um and that's what i really liked about bungo stray dogs four and five is that it's very different and you are properly led astray by the unreliable narrator and it becomes more of a joy of trying to figure out if rampo is right and is able to you know figure out the crime and save everybody or if he's actually horribly wrong and everything goes to so then that becomes a lot more fun to me at that point yeah, no, Bungo Stray Dogs is an anime that actually utilizes quite a bit of unreliable narrators. Like Agnes had said, Atsushi is a very big unreliable narrator. One of the easiest example is his experience at the orphanage. Obviously, it is bad, but, you know, there was that reveal where the one of the orphanage man, like, I don't know what he's called, like, manager? He's like the... <laughs> Yeah, he's like the, the the adoption director. Okay, yeah. So the orphanage yeah. director was extremely cruel towards him. And then 
suddenly Atsushi finds out that that man was so happy to see his success that he literally ran over with like a bouquet of flowers and in his excitement actually got himself killed because he wasn't seeing where he was going and truck-kun isekai And so, um, mm-hmm. but it's like, you know, it doesn't erase the perspective from Atsushi, of course, that in certainly he was essentially getting abused, but there was the other side of things where the man thought what he was doing was good for him. And unfortunately, that is something that I think a lot of like uh, children from immigrant families encounter or experience is that their parents are very harsh on them. And it's not because their parents hate them or anything. It's their parents think that toughening them up is like the best way for them to survive in the world, which is obviously not the case at all. But that's the exact same situation that Atsushi was having with the director. The director was doing all these terrible stuff to him because he wanted to toughen him up to make sure he can survive. And um, but it's that's that's, you know, a perspective that Atsushi has no way of ever knowing because we see all that stuff that happens from his point of view. And so so that's one, you know, example of an unreliable narrator from Asushi's side. Dazai, you know, he changes his story all the time when he narrates. We can't trust anything that comes out of that guy's mouth. <laughs> and so, um, so Bugo Stray Dogs definitely utilizes unreliable narrator a lot in this regard. So uh, and season four had another extraordinarily good unreliable narrator part that I don't think you're caught up with, right, Agnes? Uh, for the current yeah. season, I'm slowly making my way there. I think the last big reveal, and this is going to be spoilers for Isabel, do you mind? or? Oh, please spoil me. Thank you. Okay, uh, the reveal about who Kamui yes. is. Yes, yes, that's exactly what oh. I was going to say, yeah. Ah, uh, okay, okay. Yeah, that's that was a really good unreliable narrator Very part. I like that quite a bit. I didn't like the unreliable narrating in season one and three because I thought it was too predictable. Mm-hmm. Uh, but season four or five, I think it's technically five. Five is really good yeah. with the reveal of who Kamui is. Yeah, yeah. no, and because and that's an unreliable narrator moment as well, and not just a plot twist because we see it from Kamui's perspective. At one point, Kamui was telling the story to us, and we were hearing it through their thoughts and their mind, and seeing it through their eyes until the big reveal. So, uh, so it's not just like a plot twist of oh, there was a side character and you know them and then they revealed themselves it was literally we were inside their head and they were telling us the story and i can't believe you that i believed <laughs> so um so bugo stray dogs really utilizes this and uh, isabel you know i think you also came to the realization that bugo stray dogs is an unreliable narrator or an anime that uses unreliable narrator a lot so uh what are some of your moments when watching bugo stray dogs that made you realize that Oh yeah, absolutely. I think mostly what Agnes said was true. Kind of obviously the first season with Atsushi, you can see it kind of in the first episode where, you know, he thinks that the word tiger is following him, but actually it's him. And so that's kind of like the obvious example. And then throughout the series, we, um, you know, see Atsushi, or at least we see Rampo through him. And then, you know, Rampo is always correct and right. So like at that point, we think he's always correct. And so moving into season four um and i guess season five as well the fact that rampo could be wrong and the fact that what he what he deduces is not always correct is kind of it it threw me in for a loop because i'm like oh now i can't trust him anymore either or like what is this mystery actually about and who's behind it and stuff like that so that was scary for me just because i didn't want our agency members to get hurt just because of that and they're putting themselves in danger a lot so um but yeah, I'm excited to see what's in season five, though. I will be catching up soon, hopefully. Yay! Yay! <laughs> Alrighty, so uh, what is the second anime that we gave a stamp of approval for, <laughs> Agnes? <laughs> <laughs> the second one is a show that Gracie's watching, and I'm not sure if Isabel's been watching it. Um, and that show is Undead Murder Force that's airing right now on Crunchyroll. And I wanted to highlight this series because it does a very interesting twist on the unreliable narrator in which it's not done on a specific character like we've highlighted here, where like the melancholy of Haru Suzumiya is on Kion, or like for Bungo Stray Dogs, it was on Atsushi and Rampo, but rather the unreliable narrator itself is in the cinematography of the series. 
Um, this is relating so this is relating to the arc in Undead Murder Farce about a vampire family that the trio, which is uh, Sugaru, uh, Ayorindo, who is uh, a head in a birdcage, and her maid, go out to investigate. And this vampire family murder started out with a wife of the family is somehow found mysteriously murdered and all the occupants in the estate are under suspicion. That includes her own vampiric family and the two human servants that they employ. And there's a whole drama and political backdrop of how these vampires have been trying to coexist with humans for a very long time. And so many of them are convinced that the person who killed the wife, the vampiric wife, is actually human. And Ayorindo, as a sort of like investigator from Japan who came over to Europe, takes up upon this mystery to kind of figure out what's going on. And the reason why I say that it's an unreliable narrator in the cinematography is because Ayorindo herself is not actually saying certain things to allude to the fact that it could come out with the possibility of certain things that could happen in the sense that Rampo does, but rather she gives out suggestions. And the way that the cinematography kind of puts out the red herring in the unreliable narration is that they'll zoom in on a lot of the characters' facial expressions and features rather than focus on the overall dialogue, which I thought was a very deliberate move for the series as opposed to most anime that you would see in a murder mystery. Usually anime in a murder mystery is one long string of dialogue in a very stagnant picture. It kind of sometimes zooms in and zooms out just a little bit, but overall it's just a lot of talking. You get kind of bored, you start to sleep. But for this one, they start the cinematography starts to zoom in on characters who are like sweating, characters who are actively like gripping their clothes because they exhibit some side of some kind of anxiety or nervousness, or characters' eyes that are darting to and fro, and several harsh cuts between characters who are outright shouting in indignation of what's going on in the vampiric case, or characters who are stuttering and zooming in on like their lips and stuff like that. And I thought that was super deliberate because at that point, you're kind of sitting there and you think to yourself like, oh, I don't know who the actual perpetrator is. And you start trying to make conjecture conjectures of who it could actually be. But at the same time, you're completely thrown off on who the actual perpetrator is. And Ayarindo herself actually doesn't come to any of these conclusions up until the very end when she actually solves the case. But she kind of just lets it play out in the end after just kind of stating all of the evidences that she finds. So I thought that was really interesting as the unreliable narrators that it's not fixated on a character, but as a as an entire direction of the whole series. I definitely didn't think of that um, in regards to what you were thinking of when it comes to Unreliable Narrator. But yes, the cinematography is brilliant in Undead Murder Farce. Definitely helped by the fact that the director helming it is Kaguya-sama, which is also very well known for his cinematography. And uh, Showa Genroku Rakugo Shinju, A Descending Story. So another one very well known. Oh, that clicks. That no wonder why it's worked so well in Undead right. Murder Farce. Uh, like and what I was gonna series. say is, yeah. I actually do think there is dialogue for unreliable narrating, but I think it's done in a different, more unique way. Because when Suguru, our man, <laughs> our boy, so when Suguru, when he like fights, he starts narrating the story like he's telling a story to an audience, like it's a show, it's a performance, and that has to do with the fact that at the very, very beginning of the first episode we see that the way he was making money was he was performing for a circus and essentially showing uh you know making this big fight almost like you know those wrestling competitions we see where he exaggerates the fight and makes it seem like it's very um dangerous when in reality he could easily beat them all because of his skill and his uh hybrid ogre status and so whenever he starts you know whenever he fights and he starts performing for people and essentially using dialogue to tell a story to the audience he's a uh, flourishing and being more flamboyant he's adding things into the story that makes it sound more 
philosophical, shall we say, when in reality that wasn't actually what's happening at all. Uh, but he's doing it because he's used to being a performer and it makes it fun. And I thought, like, that's how I, um, that was the part where I was like, that's kind of a very clever twist of using unreliable narrator because in that moment he is a narrator and he's being unreliable in the way he's telling the story. But he's doing it with a flourish where you know he's being unreliable on purpose because it's fun and it's a performance for him. So, um, so I think it's interesting how we both have like two different perspectives of the unreliable narrator for Undead Murder Farce, which is fitting as well for how the anime is made. So, <laughs> I think what I was more so relating to the fact that a lot of uh, a lot of unreliable narration that comes out of mysteries is during the case itself. Um, but in this case, because you basically at that point when Suguru is fighting, the case is already done. He just has to deal with the physical part. I do agree, like that unreliable narrator bit was very clever as to insert more backstory for the entirety of the show, but not necessarily for a case by case basis. Uh, mur murder case, right? Yeah. Uh, have you seen are or are you watching Undead Murder Farce at all, Isabel? I'm not, so I have no idea about the series, although you have been talking about it, so I was curious about it, and I didn't know Agnes was watching it, but now I know that as well, so maybe I will give it a shot. Mm -hmm. It's really interesting. Oh, go on, Agnes. Oh, yeah, it's really interesting, yeah. I just want to say my favorite highlight of Undead Murder Farce is ironically the first episode with the shotgun and the beer. That was probably that my was favorite so good. <laughs> it was such a good mm. like that's a, another example of like the unreliable narrator cinematography is where so the maid that they fight that Suguru fights against she uses she utilizes like a big shotgun or rifle and at the time that they were fighting he's kind of drunk and he's carrying around a bottle with alcohol in it. And at one point, they get really close in close combat, and there's a scene where Su where um, Suguru like, like pulls a punch. It sounds it looks like he's about to punch her, and then the next cut transition is the bottom of the barrel of the gun looking up out of the hole into the night sky, and you see a mysterious liquid get sloshed in, and that just kind of like jumpstarts your imagination of like, oh, this guy was really smart about basically flooding her gun and she can't even use it anymore. And so that was that's what I thought was a really good, like, interesting, unreliable narration instead of just having the animation scene play out as a whole and from a an outside perspective but from mm. like an inside uh inside an object perspective also the and it utilizes that quite a bit also the chemistry between the two male the the two main leads is really really good they it's really good yeah, yeah. they have a lot of really cute and funny banter so uh, so one of the things, well, I mean, it's obvious from just the poster itself. So one of the main characters, Aya, she's, uh, she's without a body, so she's only a head. And they make so many jokes about that fact that it's genuinely kind of surprising because I never expected them to, like, make so many jokes about that. And not only that, she likes the jokes. Like, she laughs at them and thinks it's funny that the main character, uh, Sugaru, would joke about the fact that she's missing a body. Like, one of the examples was, um... One of the examples was the fact that like one of the carriage ride was bumpy, and so uh, and so Sugaru would make a joke about how like she's feeling sick, and she but she'd find it funny because it's actually impossible for her to throw up. So it's not like she's mm. in danger of like throwing up or messing up the carriage. But that's just like an example of some of the jokes that they make that I admire the anime for adding in. So. <laughs> Alrighty, so uh, with that being said, you two have, uh, you know, summed up your unreliable narrators. So in that case, it is now my turn. So the one that I have been holding close to my chest this entire time because I refuse to let any of them take it from me, even though uh, even though I know for a fact that Agnes has seen this one, is this unreliable narrator in my in the anime is probably my all-time favorite usage of it like that's how high of a place it has because it really shook me like that unreliable narrator moment really shook me and it is descending stories showa gunroku rakugo shinju so i hell yeah let's go do you know what i'm talking about in regards to the unreliable narrator part yes the entirety of the first season yes <laughs> oh my god i can't tell you how i screamed when the reveal happened like i i remember being like gasping out loud and rewinding the episode just to make sure that 
I heard it correctly because I was just that and like I was just that sold by the unreliable narrator. So huge plot twist here. Um, if anyone plans to watch this anime, I ask you guys not to listen to me talk about this because I'm going to go into details and you do not want to ruin this for yourself. So the entire first season was a story about how uh, Kiku, who um, was essentially in this very uh, intense love triangle. I mean, it's also about his life, of course, but ultimately what it was really leading up to, because at that time, Konatsu was still very tense with Kiku, understandably so. And um, and it was a story about how he quote-unquote killed uh, Sukeruko, uh, which is uh, Konatsu's father. And... and, and we learned that, you know, he was in a love triangle at one point, And so he was with this woman who he ended up breaking up with. And so then that woman went with Sukaruko and then Sukaruko went through stuff. And then the two of them got together and she got pregnant and that ended up with Konatsu. And the whole first season was a dramatization of their life and the way it ended. So the big question, you know, how did Kiku kill these people? Is that uh, the woman, she seemingly... She seemingly um, seemed incapable of accepting the fact that Kiku doesn't love her and so tried to kill herself and Sukeruko jumped after her to try to save her and Kiku um, tried to hold on to them but uh, ultimately wasn't able to and they fell to their deaths from the second story. So in that way, quote unquote, Kiku was responsible for the death because of his involvement in the love triangle and how it basically uh, seemed to essentially mess up the relationship that the woman could have had with Konatsu's dad. And on top of the fact how um, her coming back and Kiku seemingly unable to let her go ultimately led like her to doing something so drastic that got um, Konatsu's dad killed. But then... In the second season, that was all a lie. That was just storytelling from Kiku's side. The reality was that it was that the woman, we knew she was not very stable even from the first season, but uh, the reveal was that the woman, pro uh, so there was a lot of hints dropped in the first season already that was hinting to this fact is that she, when she gets like, angry and doesn't get her way she tends to immediately grab a knife and start threatening herself which makes the guys back down in fear and so it was very heavily insinuated that what happened was she was she was doing that all over again and in the process accidentally stabbed Konatsu's dad which then she freaked out on because that was not her intention at all and she was and she was like apologizing and just an absolute mess because that wasn't her intention and when Konatsu accidentally walked in on this and saw like saw basically her dad who she loves a lot seemingly dying and stabbed and her mom you know with blood on her hands um she asked her mom like did you did you kill dad and um the mom you know is also a mess and she apologizes and says she accidentally stabbed um you know i stabbed daddy and um and you know stab doesn't mean dead but as a kid you're not really going to know the difference between the two and so konatsu immediately assumed that her mom had actually killed her dad and essentially shoved her own mom like starts beating her mom and and her mom's like scrambling away and then shoved her own mom off the second story and her dad tried to grab her and pull her up but because the second story was so old he tumbled after them and and Konatsu was also getting pulled in by that force of the fall and Kiku could only react in time to grab the child it's just it was just so quick the way the two of them died like it was instant and it was it was really just an accident and it was just there's no way Kiku could have ever had time to save those two he just grabbed whoever was closest that he could save which was the child and the event was essentially so traumatizing for Konatsu understandably that she doesn't remember any of it at all and of course Kiku's not gonna tell her the truth because then that child's gonna grow up thinking that she's responsible for her parents death so he made up this story to essentially not to essentially bury it with him so that she never hates herself for that matter. 
and oh, I, I love that reveal so much. I thought it was it was just, really it good. It was so good. It's a true like spicy family drama from start to finish in one season. <laughs> it blows my mind. Like to this day, I would do anything to rewatch that moment and not know the truth because it really was just set up so well and it was amazing. And and it was also you know kind of cute but also sad at the end because the person who finds out the truth is Yotaro, who's the main, who's the actual main protagonist and um, the star of season two. And he also ends up never telling Konatsu, who is his wife. Uh, but what said he like, he saw her after he found out the truth about everything. I distinctly remember this because I was like, oh, he's such a good person. He like just burst into tears because he knows like this is this is a truth that he can probably that he will never tell her either because it's just so devastating but it's also so hard to know that you know his wife this woman that he loves went through something so traumatic and hard in the past and you just can't help he just can't help but empathize and sympathize and just love her for it and so he like bursted into tears which I was like oh you'll total like it's okay you know sort of thing so um um, so yeah, I, I just love the whole setup and how it worked. And uh, I mean, Agnes, did you see that twist coming? I genuinely, I did not. Okay. I like the entire time. I was just like, okay, it's it's just one big, complicated love triangle between three adults. And I wasn't actually expecting the ending of season one to reveal that everything that we've been experiencing before has been a lie because the way that the anime sets it up is all the unreliable narrators are definitely like Okiku because she has like that kind of like romance and um uh, attraction towards um uh what's what's his uh his current stage name it was um yakumo right yes yakumo. she has like that love for like and love and attraction for yakumo but because yakumo can't reciprocate that love to her she kind of like takes it out on sukeroko as a sort of like a toxic relationship so it was 100 percent very toxic yes <laughs> it was very toxic very, very oh my toxic. god <laughs> so it builds up this entire saga of toxicity between the three not only to mention sukeroko and yakumo have a very long standing rivalry and probably a very heavy BL hint as well that Yakumo might have had some sort of like unconscious affections towards Sukeruko. So in the entirety it's, of the it's series, complicated. It sets That's the best way. It's I very can complicated. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it sets you up thinking that the death of Sukeruko and Okiku is because of like, you know, love triangle, rivalry kind of things. But the fact that the burden falls on a child is even worse. I know, I know. And the thing is, I don't think what Yakumo did is wrong. Like there's there's just No, it's not he made the right choice, but it has an incredibly devastating consequence. I mean, both sides are devastating consequences. He had to choose the lesser of two evils. Right. And the fact is is that Yakumo had to keep this a secret for like twenty plus years and not say anything. Like nobody knew the truth. Not even Matsuda knew the truth. Only the proprietors, I think, knew the truth. The the owner of the the hotel that uh, they were Masuda it did, did know the truth. It was Masuda and uh, and the proprietors. Those two people. Oh, so Matsuda yeah. did know. Okay, so Matsuda. Oh, poor Matsuda. Bless his soul. I actually rewatched a couple of scenes of Show Ringo. Uh, Show, um, of the Rakugo series and poor Matsuda lived through so much and had seen so much heartbreak like oh my god <laughs> the yeah. man just watches his beloved master just go into like the deepest pits of despair for the last like 40 years yeah I know and it's like and I think the difference as well like if you watch it side by side that's what there's someone on YouTube put them side by side like the fake and the real story and it's just insane because the fake one you know um yakumo had time to talk and beg and sukeruko was like you know i have to go with her this is the right thing and la 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 like it, it was very shakespearean is what i would like to say for the uh the unreliable narrator part and then you see real life and it's like bam it's done like they they both fell off and it's seconds like i i don't even think it was like 10 seconds it was three seconds and they were just over the ledge and dead and i was just like oh my gosh like the difference between real life and i think what's even int more interesting that 
Yakumo is even his own unreliable narrator. Oh, yeah. Because he keeps mm-hmm. agonizing over the fact that because he has to harbor this secret that the ghost of Tsukeruko continues yes! to Yes! And as a result, he has no peace into season two. Into season two, he actually almost commits suicide, right? Right, but it's okay. Um, so y- Yotaro's there. It's really Yotaro's sad. Yotaro's there. Everything's fine. <laughs> Yotaro's there. Thankfully, Yotaro and then Konatsu, who eventually grew out of her angst phase too ends up like making sure to bring Yakumo back from the brink. But Yakumo in season two was literally being his own unreliable narrator of thinking that Rakugo has to die with me. Mm-hmm. And that was very poetic, by the way. I actually wrote a, a high school, a college essay about the evolution of Rakugo. Um, Rakugo has to die with him. Rakugo is an old dead art. He was the last like survivor. He is the last person of their era to do good things with Rakugo. And it must die with him because he can't keep doing it without Tsukeruko, mm-hmm. right? And so you're just kind of like, oh my god, this is so tragically poetic and so like delusional too because he's deluding himself seeing Tsukeruko's ghost everywhere instead of accepting the fact that Everything was a tragic accident. Nobody could have predicted what could happen, and nobody could have stopped it. Yeah, either. like it's honestly like I, I, you know, I, I, I shouldn't say this, but it is Sukerko and the woman's fault for like being in a relationship together when they both yes. knew they were yes, not that is, that was other. that was one hundred percent their fault because they chose that toxic relationship, but their ultimate death was not something that they could have foreseen yes exactly and i mean none of them wanted to die for that matter in fact the woman no. she didn't even want to kill sukuruko she was she probably just was swinging around wildly as she did and accidentally stabbed him so. yeah she was very unstable the poor woman was just at the beginning she was already like starting to lose it too with the fact that she has a hopeless one-sided relationship with uh with yakumo but needs to take out all her sexual frustrations with Sukeriko I instead. know, I know. Ugh, it's, I'm, I'm just glad that you didn't take this from me because I was like, when you said you were having trouble thinking of it, I was like, I will never give this to Agnes. This was mine. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Isabel, I, I always forget because I feel like Agnes and I rant more about Descending Stories. Did you ever watch Descending Stories? <laughs> I did, yes. I watched the Thank whole thing. Thank God! So, <laughs> okay. you haven't spoiled Wait. anything for me. Actually, that makes sense. Didn't you almost write an article for Descending Stories before it got axed? Or was that Gracie? Oh, that was oh. Gracie. Never mind. That yeah, was not me. Okay. okay, thank God. We all watched it here. Because that's like, this whole show is just a plethora of spoilers. <laughs> did you like that plot twist? That unreliable narrator moment? <laughs> I did, but I also kind of saw it coming. Really? Oh, interesting. My my experience was a little different just because from the start of the series, I could tell that I couldn't really trust what had gone on. And obviously, they had all lived through a tragedy. And so I kind of knew like, oh, that's still going. But I still couldn't like even as they told us what happened, I was like, I I feel like there's more to this. There's this is definitely not the story. So I, I didn't obviously I didn't predict it all the way, but like I just knew that there was something. So I kept it kind of like in the back of my head as I watched like season two and how that story rolled out as well so but overall you know it's like storytelling a story about storytelling and then the fact that the whole like seasons two seasons together is kind of a whole story in itself is just so wild to me as well so i i I really loved it as well hell yeah Mm -hmm. Alrighty, so yeah i think i i see what you mean by like the whole like oh you know, I killed him. And it's like very predictable because it's like said right up front and center. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I was wondering, like, did you predict the child being involved mm-hmm. in the yeah. whole thing? I'm just curious. Because that was the thing that really threw me off. Not so much about the whole like adult uh, love triangle rivalry accident thing that happened. But the fact that there was a child that witnessed it and inadvertently had caused all of this as well. Yeah, I, I thought that maybe the child had like seen it or something or like was involved in some way. But I didn't expect like obviously she was the one um in in like in the actual scene as well i just thought maybe she knew about it but she didn't want to say oh type i of see thing. like yeah. a, like looking through the window yeah, seeing your dad's that, fall and mm-hmm. being traumatized i see okay because that was the because that was the original perspective of konatsu right in the first right. episode where she's like you killed my dad and it like pans to like a younger yakumo like holding a lifeless body of, of Sukeriko. You can obviously see that I, I recently rewatched the episode, so that's why I know it's like so big fright in your mind. That's good. It's so vivid. 
Uh, alrighty, so my next choice is not as prestigious, obviously, but um, but it is one that I did enjoy the twist for of the unreliable narrator. So believe it or not, as much as I disliked season two, Classroom of the Elite, I did think the unreliable narrator of Classroom of the Elite for season one was quite well done. So I do know for a fact neither of you two have seen this series, but I'm going to go ahead and explain what, why I think so is that uh, very early on throughout the series, you do know that Ayo no Koji has something more going on with him, that he's not telling you, the audience, everything, because he's like, he's quote-unquote mediocre, but you can tell he have like, particular skills to him that is abnormal or, you know, definitely not what he is coming off as for average, but... The way that he monologues and the way about how he wants to just keep his head down and stay unnoticed and uh, the way that he goes about it. I thought the unreliable narrator part was that he's making himself worse than the good guy that he actually is, which is a pretty common unreliable narrator trope is that, you know, especially in anime for, you know, high school boy protagonists is they're always like, oh, I'm scum and I'm trash. But then in reality, they're doing very nice things. And you're like, no, you're not scum or trash. It's just you're being edgy and angsty because you're a teenage boy. (laughs) Uh, But in reality, you're just like a normal high school boy is all it is. And that's what I thought that they were doing with Classroom of the Elite. And I did think the way they set it up did seem to point to that. You know, he keeps saying how he's not interested in making friends with anyone. And, you know, he likes to work on his own. But then inevitably, when people need help, he gets pulled in. And when he gets pulled in, at first, he doesn't want to do it. But then he eventually does it. And whenever he commits, he does a really good job of it. And He's a lot smarter than he thinks himself capable of because while his test scores are just mediocre, his, you know, his street mart skills are a lot, you know, a lot higher and a lot better. And without him, the class couldn't, wouldn't work without him. And so, so yeah, so for 12 episodes, I was completely convinced that the whole unreliable narrator is one of those predictable ones where it's like, He's narrating himself and he seems and he sees himself worse than he actually is. But in reality, he's a really nice guy and he just doesn't want to admit it because of whatever past trauma. Uh, You know, he lost someone or something happened to him, made him refuse to accept the fact that he was what he is a good person. Well, that got thrown out the window completely at the end, at the very last scene of the first season. Because when, you know, one of the main girls was talking to him and basically talking and she's a tsundere. So she's like, oh, it's not like, you know, I appreciate your help or anything, la la la. And like her sort of tsundere rant just kind of like phase into oblivion and you go into his thought. And then he was like, well, Horikata, you know, I appreciate you thinking that you're, um, you know, you're my friend and everything like that. And, you know, I appreciate our partnership together and stuff. And so you think it's like, it's you think it's leading to him finally accepting the fact that, yeah, I'm not as bad as I seem to be. I'm not as mediocre as I seem to be. But instead, he's just like, but in reality, I never really saw you as a friend and I'm never going to see you as a friend. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> I was like, hang on, what are you talking about? And he's like, really, nobody in this class is ever going to be my friend. I have my own mission here that I came for. And now that I've set all the pieces exactly where I want it to be, now that I've got everyone who I want to be my allies, my allies, and seeing me as a friend with just low self-esteem, I have all the people exactly in the palm of my hand, exactly where I want them to be. And now I can just go forward with my own mission, my own plan. And that's the, and now I can actually start doing the work that I originally planned to do. That ending where it reveals that like it wasn't he's not like it's not even just he's an angsty boy who's seeing less of himself no he his unreliable narrator is portraying himself better and leading people into believing that that's what he is when in actuality he's extremely manipulative and cold and everything that he's actually doing is for his own sake that he's been planning behind the scenes all on his own and that last scene was extremely well done in regards to the reveal. I know it sounds obvious when I'm narrating it, but when you're watching it, you genuinely think he's one of those unreliable narrators of like a teenage boy who just sees himself less than he actually is. And then you get to that ending and it's not the case at 
all. And I really love that twist in all honesty, which is actually why I was looking forward to the second season. And then they butchered the second season. <laughs> That's all I'll say for that matter. So the second season was not good. And I'm, I'm honestly just sticking with the first season because I think that was the one thing they did extremely well on and they did right on. So, uh, so that's my second example of an unreliable narrator twist that I, I genuinely liked as, as weird as it is, despite the fact that everything else afterwards have been disappointing for that matter. Uh, Isabel, I heard you react like, um, did you, I, I guess, did you have an inkling or an idea of that twist? I did not, but just like looking at pictures of Ayano Koji in general, he's so emotionless and kind of he's never smiling at least in the pictures that i've seen of him and so if you think about what i like what you explained in the last episode that he's actually kind of more calculating it seems like and more manipulative than it seems um i think it kind of matches what you see on the outside but on the inside it's totally different or it's, it's so crazy that he would basically be you know leading not only the audience on but also everyone else in the classroom as well which i think that that Obviously, I can see why it was definitely a big shock to you overall. Yeah, no, and you're right. The way that he's designed, he does look emotionless, but he also really looks unassuming. Like, he genuinely looks very generic. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to lie, but it's like a very purposeful <laughs> generic is what we learned. So <laughs> he is not here to be the male insert character. In fact, he is the complete opposite <laughs> in that regard. So, um, so yeah, I really love that twist, and I still really like it despite where the anime went in the second season uh agnes have you heard about this twist i know a lot of people freaked out about it once it was revealed so it wouldn't have surprised me if you got spoiled on it or anything like that already i heard some hints here and there but i don't really keep up with classroom of the elites so i don't have much commentary for that either <laughs> that's fair uh alrighty then so in that case that sums up all our unreliable narrators for anime so thank you everyone for uh listening uh, if you have any unreliable narratives in anime that you really love that you would like to share, please go ahead and go to our Twitter. Yes, we're still on Twitter. And yes, I'm calling it Twitter till the end of my days. <laughs> so uh, go to Twitter at girltaku underscore AT uh, to follow us there. And we will be back next week with another fun topic. So I hope you'll be here next time. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. -bye.